Good morning, church. Happy to be with you here this Sunday, and happy birthday to Andrew Shea, our lead pastor. It's an honor to serve with him. He is the best, and it's an honor to share a birthday month with him. My birthday was last week, and I was able to celebrate with a couple of friends, with the Kovacics, with the Lawrences. We went out to dinner, and usually, when you go out to dinner for your birthday, you have an expectation. You're getting that free dessert, right? You're getting the chocolate cake with the candle and all that jazz. And so when we sat down at the table, I started dropping hints at the server so he knew it was my birthday, saying things like, it's my birthday. And then my friends being like, it's his birthday or, you know, let the birthday boy go first and all that jazz. He wasn't having it. Like, we finished our meal, and then there was the check, and we're like, what's going on? This is like the, the expectation of a birthday dinner. So I look over at my friend Kyle, do a little wink. I'm like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. When I come back, maybe there'll be a cake. And then I come back from the bathroom, and the timing was a little off, so it's sad and there was no cake. But then the server came up with it, and I was like, what? How did you know it was my birthday? See, that was my experience at a restaurant that I won't say the name of, but if you know me, I worked there for five and a half years, so connect the dots. But that's not the case with places like Rainforest Cafe. Yeah. If, if they hear it's someone's birthday, like, they're on it. Like, if you had a birthday in the last 12 months, they're on it. And they, like, squat up around you. Like, they get, like, the whole crew. They have, like, a little jingle that they do. I couldn't remember it exactly, so I YouTubed it, and I saw them sing it to a six-year-old. Felt weird, but it goes like, happy, happy birthday from all of us to you. We made you something special. We made it just for you. And they give you, like, a little bowl of, like, mud with worms and everything. It's awesome. It meets the aesthetic. It's an awesome experience. But I have a really good feeling that a lot of the servers there, that might be like the least favorite part of their job. Like it's just like another birthday. All right, all the staff come. Let's sing to them once again. It might be the least favorite part of their job. Like here we go again, another birthday. Like I want to assume that the server that I had on my birthday dinner used to work at Rainforest and now he's burnt out. So he's like, it's your birthday? No. Here's the check, kid. You see, they get the, the music and all that. The action is awesome, but sometimes the heart's not in it. Like the dessert, the song is there, but you have to choose to be intentional. And oftentimes, in our walks with Jesus, we might do the right things because they're the right things. But if our heart isn't in it, or if we're perhaps doing it for the wrong reasons, then it's not for God at all. And today, we're going to be talking about how we give our whole hearts to God and what it looks like for the disciple who chose to not do that. Let's jump into God's word. This is going to be out of Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 to 16. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and Usher will bring one to you. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus had finished saying all these things... He said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. 
While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Pray with me, church. So Lord, as we dive into your text, may we understand in a deeper sense, what does it look like to live a life of pouring out our entire hearts unto you as a response for the immense grace we have received undeserved? Amen. Amen. So our text today begins with plotting against Jesus. Jesus has just finished his preaching in the gospel of Matthew. He's no longer doing public ministry. And now it's time for the response, the aftermath from the chief priests. Jesus declares to his disciples that the Passover is in two days and that he, the son of man, his favorite title that he called himself, is going to be handed over to be crucified which highlights how timely his death on the cross was. As Passover is the observance of blood shed for another, so Jesus, he would make the final act of atonement on this Jewish holiday, him taking the place of the unblemished lamb slain for the sin of the world. So Jesus declares to his disciples, and how the disciples receive this in the moment is unknown to us. What we do know is they were surprised by the events that would follow with him getting arrested, crucified, and rising from the grave. Which really makes me wonder, how often were they actually listening, considering the words Jesus would say? Because Jesus was pretty clear about dying. He told them multiple times where they just like, totally, totally Jesus, for sure, for sure, Anyway, we're talking about death and like Jesus, a little heavy for our light dinner right now. Let's talk about this later. Were they thinking, is he for real? Is this like another parable? Because remember, as we've been going over the past few weeks, the disciples and many others were thinking of Jesus as this political figure that is going to overthrow Rome, that's going to reclaim the nation of Israel. They were not anticipating Jesus getting overthrown by Rome. So how well were they listening This reminds me of a time when I was running a ministry called Shack Ministries. It was a Saturday night worship night. We would meet in my parents' backyard or different coffee shops, and I would get worship leaders together. I did not lead worship. I cannot sing. If I plug my nose, it sounds equally as nasally as it does right now. You don't want to hear me sing, but I would group together worship leaders, and it would be an awesome time. And 
One time I was talking to my friend Matt. He lives up in Isla Vista. And he's like, I would love to have my friend lead worship at the shack. I'm like, totally, dude. He's like, sometime soon, sometime soon. This week, this week. And then I proceed to schedule my own leader because I don't know what was going on. It was going in one ear and out the other. So come Saturday night, I'm in my parents' backyard. It's like 15 minutes before worship's about to start. And my friend Matt rolls up with his friend. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? Oh, guitar case. Are you leading tonight? Like kind of joking. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh. And then I like check my phone and then I see I got a leader from my leader that I scheduled because I forgot that the other guy was scheduled. And I run outside and I see him and I go, chance, chance. Hey, bro. Um, so, hmm. so you're going to be leading worship tonight. Yes, you brought your guitar. There's another guy who's also going to be leading worship tonight. And I, I figure you guys do like a collaborative kind of thing. You guys, you guys like play together, you know? You do some of your songs, and you just, some of his, you know, mix, intertwine. It ended up being like the most awkward night of my nine years of leading that ministry. There are some, there's some points that were just so painful. That was perhaps the most painful for me because no one really knew what was going on behind the scenes, but I felt the weight of it the entire time, especially when they were playing and they just looked at me, just like looked at me like, this is you, man. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> and you see, here's what was going on with my, Matt, my friend Matt. He was talking to me, but I was not being intentional at all. I was not lovingly listening. And so I was taken by surprise when he did what he said he was going to do. Shocker. It's crazy. And we see the same thing play out with the disciples and Jesus. They're not intentionally listening to his words, and then they're shocked when it comes to pass. And, and in light of today's theme of the today's teaching, this is a way we give our whole hearts to God, intentionally listening to the words of Jesus, taking him at his word, allowing it to shape us, fuel us, and move us. For you can't love someone without listening to them. You can't love someone without listening to them. Now, the chief priests decide in verse 5 that they don't want to arrest Jesus during the festival or there may be a riot amongst the people. Reason being, the week of the Passover, there are a ton of pilgrims in the city of Jerusalem. And riots, it was not uncommon with the large crowds of people in that city. So they wanted to be on guard. They wanted to be safe and capture Jesus in private. For now, Jesus goes to the house of Simon the leper. Jesus, fully aware of what's going to happen in two days, him being handed over, he decides he wants to eat in the home of Simon, either the former leper or current leper. But we can assume he has been healed since a group is gathering at his house. And I feel like the detail of Jesus eating at the house of Simon the leper can be really easily overlooked. But I believe it was intentionally noted by Matthew. Like, I want you to imagine you are going to die in two days. Who are you going to choose to be with? You see, Jesus, he was not meeting with the elite and luxurious. He's meeting at a social outcast's home. Sure, he's cured from leprosy now, 
But some may consider him a leper still because of his former disease. I mean, he is referred to here as Simon the leper. So they might not want to be in his home. And I want you to imagine he has an awesome home. And he has the gift, he has the joy of hospitality. He wants to house people. He wants to feed them. He wants to entertain them. But even once healed, people still considered him an outcast. Makes me think of a tweet that went viral in 2018. There was an eight-year-old boy. His name was Aaron. And he was having a Stranger Things-themed birthday party. And he invites his eight classmates, and no one shows up. Yeah. Let's all ah together. That is so sad. He had the string lights on the walls with all the letters underneath each of the lights. He had red punch that was labeled Demogorgon blood. Nice. And had all the food that was thematic throughout the series, and no one showed up. And so his older sister, she posts all about it on Twitter, posting the photos from it, texts about you made my brother sad, all that kind of stuff. And I remember seeing it and being like really sad, like struck to the heart. Like there's nothing I can do, but I feel your pain, Aaron. But then Millie Brown, the star of the show, 11, reaches out with this tweet saying, what? Like four exclamation marks. I hope I did justice to that what. What? Oh, well, you can let them all know that everyone on behalf of Stranger Things would have loved to come. I think you're awesome. And next year, I would like an invite, please. Imagine getting that. Like, forget those eight-year-olds that didn't come to his party. The dude was on cloud nine. And I imagine this is just a fraction of the excitement that Simon the leper experienced from Jesus eating in his home. Not only is he the one who cured him from his sickness, but he is the one who is going to prove to be the savior of the world, conquering death. Jesus would eat at his table. And not only that, it would be one of his final meals. You see, Jesus is that intentional with the outcasts, with the lowly, all the way to the point when he is hanging on that cross and he looks to the criminal beside him and he says, today I will see you in paradise. Jesus was never above people. Rather, he always met them on the same playing field as a child of God. And that's amazing, amen? This is good. So we're at the house of Simon the leper, and a woman comes to Jesus, the woman being Mary Magdalene, as stated in other accounts in the Gospels. She has an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, and she pours it on his head as he's reclining at the table. And to modern ears, that might not seem like something we would like to have happen to us, but as commentators note, at Jewish banquets, a host sometimes poured small amounts of oil on a guest's head, which remained on their head and clothing, enhancing the fragrance of the feast. So this was an act of honoring Jesus, giving her heart to Jesus, pouring out worship to him. And what a way to do it, anointing the Messiah, the word Messiah meaning anointing one at the feast whether she's aware of it or not, Mary is proclaiming Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And what's fascinating about Mary pouring the oil from the alabaster jar is that in order to use it, you would need to break the neck of the jar as it was sealed to keep the perfume fresh and pure. And it could not be used without breaking the neck. And once broken, 
it would immediately release the perfume and it would spread through the air. And since broken, she would have to use all of it. So she poured a significant amount over Jesus. So there's no small amount that would be typical for a feast. But as stated in other gospel accounts, she poured it on his feet as well, pulling down her hair and wiping his feet with the oil, truly humbling herself as she elevates Jesus as the King Messiah that he is. And this is a really beautiful scene. And Jesus states that. He agrees. However, as noted, the disciples were indignant. The Gospel of John actually zooms in on the specific disciple, Judas Iscariot. Why the waste? You can hear the disgust in his voice. This perfume could have been sold at a high price, and the money given to the poor. Why the waste? To which Jesus quickly rebukes him. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You see, what others call waste, Jesus calls beautiful. What this disciple calls waste, Jesus calls beautiful. You see, something that's pretty common with Christians in Orange County is going on mission trips after graduating high school, specifically with YWAM, Youth on a Mission. It is three months of DTS, Discipleship Training School, and then three years in the field. It is six months total of getting absolutely rocked and forever changed. It's awesome. But something I've often heard from my friends who are not followers of Jesus is, why? What a waste of time. You're just setting yourself back a year that you could have been in college or you could be working. You're just going to not make any money for six months. They think, what a waste. Or more than mission work, why devote your time to some religion in the first place, especially with any baggage that it comes with it? But the truth that we hold on to, not just those in the mission field, but every follower of Jesus, you and I, is this. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, living for the Lord, what we do, it's foolishness in the world's eyes. It's a waste. But in the Lord's eyes, it is beautiful. It is honorable. It is everything. Truly, there is no greater life we can live than one in which we pour out our entire selves to the Lord. And Mary, she realized this. She sees her past. She sees the way in which she once lived, and now she chooses to pour herself out in worship and adoration to Jesus, because there is no greater life we can live than one in which we pour out our entire hearts to the Lord. And in doing so, we experience the joy that Mary found in Jesus's eyes, the gentle eyes of her rabbi that redeemed her. The rabbi that continues to defend her, saying, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. What's Jesus saying here? He's not saying to disregard the poor. He's quoting the first half of Deuteronomy 12, 15. There will always be poor in your land. The next portion reads, therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So he's not saying to disregard the poor. That'd be super off-brand for Jesus after having said last week, whatever you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. 
Instead, he's telling Judas that they are important, but what Mary is doing right now is something that can only be done in this window of time. You will not always have me, Jesus declares. And on top of that, Mary pours this oil over Jesus, this costly oil that is intended to be poured over a body before burial, and it presumably being the costly oil that Mary would have poured over herself when she passes. So Mary, she does this beautiful act, pouring the oil that was meant for her own burial over Jesus, who would die the death that was meant for herself and for everyone else, death as a result of sin, as the wages of sin is death. And whether Mary is aware of this or not, what she has done is a beautiful and significant thing in the Lord's eyes. So beautiful that it is recorded in every gospel account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Shout out times four. It's pretty awesome. Our text today ends with betrayal, and the way that it is stated is heartbreaking. Verse 14 writes, Then one of the twelve, one of the twelve who closely followed Jesus for three years, ate every meal with Jesus, heard every message by Jesus, saw the miraculous power of God in the flesh. Judas, one of the 12, goes to the chief priests, not from a bribe, but an offer that he himself had made. This is a dream come true for the chief priests that one of Jesus' very own would betray him and hand him over. As they were trying to capture him, Judas made it that much easier. What are you willing to give me? if I deliver him over to you. Not what's the most you'll give me. There's no bartering. What are you willing to give me? They count out for Judas 30 pieces of silver and Judas accepts it. And from that point on, he seeks out an opportunity to hand over Jesus. It sends on such a gut-wrenching note and leads us to ask, what happened to Judas? Judas had failed expectations. Judas presumably went into ministry for power, for the money. Judas, he was fed up with Jesus. Maybe Judas imagined, I'm gonna get pretty rich off of being one of Jesus's disciples. He saw Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount He saw the large crowds gathering around him. He saw Jesus on the boat preaching because the shore was too full for him to be amongst the people. Jesus was clearly going somewhere. Maybe Judas had the businessman mentality, my network is my net worth, or something like that. I don't know. I'm going to be with Jesus. How can I capitalize on his momentum? If Jesus is really going to overthrow Rome with his kingdom, I want to be a part of it. So Judas, he joins Jesus' band of disciples. He becomes the treasurer, the holder, and manager of the money, and he frequently takes from it, pocketing the money for his own gain. And when Judas discovers that Jesus' so-called kingdom is brought by the laying down of himself for others, it isn't money-seeking. It's actually just all servant-based. He's fed up. But then there's Mary who, like Judas, has been following Jesus closely for years. 
However, Mary has a very different viewpoint on Jesus, the polar opposite. You see, Mary is originally described as a woman who was freed from demonic oppression. According to Luke 8, she was healed by Jesus of evil spirits and infirmities. The text reads, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with them and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom the seven demons had come out. These women were helping support him out of their own means. So after Mary had been met by the love of Jesus, after she had become free, she began to be a close follower. She became a disciple. And not only that, she began to be a big supporter of him financially. She supported the ministry of Jesus financially. So from the very beginning, you see this duality between Mary and Judas. Mary would frequently deposit in the money bag, which Judas would frequently steal from. Mary would give while Judas would take. Mary would consider, how can I pour my whole self out in love, adoration, and worship to Jesus while Judas would ask, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? You see, with these two characters, we see two roads that one may take with Jesus. Again, they were both close to Jesus, following him for years. We see these two choices. What can we give to Jesus? What can we get from Jesus? You see, Mary, she gives her expensive perfume. It's 300 denarii, which is equivalent to at least $12,000. And then Judas hands over Jesus, the Messiah, for 30 pieces of silver. I read a ton of commentaries. No one could agree with each other on how much that's worth, but it's like around like 7,000 in today's terms, which is like nothing for like, you know, the Messiah, the savior of the entire world. So regardless of the amount, it was a bar set low. Judas was presumably trying to make up for what he felt like he lost in following Jesus. So we get the duality of exchanges. With Judas, what can I get? With Mary, what can I give? And then even looking beyond the words and the actions, we must evaluate the heart posture of Judas and Mary at the dinner table. For you see, Mary pouring this expensive oil over Jesus' head could have been a total flex of wealth, of devotion. Like, yo, John, make sure you Instagram live this. I need everyone to see. This is going to be sick, you know? But Jesus knew her heart. And because of that, he said it was beautiful. Then on the other hand, what Judas said about selling the oil and giving money to the poor, it could have been seen as honorable. But his intentions were to keep the money for himself. Because of that, it was not beautiful. It was hideous. His heart was rotten. So it's not always just about the words and the actions that come from us, but the heart posture that we are rooted in. Are we acting out of love for Jesus or are we acting out of personal gain? The duality and choice exists for us all. What can I give to Jesus versus refraining from the desire, what can I get from? So where do we go from here? We must look internally and ask ourselves, what is our heart and our actions for Jesus? Or even where is our heart and our lack of 
actions for Jesus. As we consider how Judas could follow Jesus so closely, yet still fall away because of failed expectations, let's ask ourselves, do we expect anything from Jesus that he doesn't promise us? Are we trying to get things from Jesus that don't fall in alignment with his kingdom, but much more so our own? All the while, we must consider the cross. Jesus taking our place, dying the death that our sins earned and setting us forever free. As the wages of sin is death and Jesus paid that price all the way down to the last penny, we are fully redeemed, fully set free, covered by his grace. This is a reason to praise God. And so we're going to do that. We're going to go into a time of worship. We are going to respond with worship for all that Jesus has done on our behalf and continues to do today. For truly worship, it is the pouring out of our hearts on Jesus. It is the humbling of ourselves that we may exalt him. So as we sing these next few songs, may we keep this mentality that Jesus, he is king. And he is so worthy not only to be praised, but of our everything, to pour our entire hearts out to him. So let's do that in this time. Will you all stand with me as we go into this time of response? Jesus, may we not just step into this time because it's rhythmic for a church service, but may we take it for what it truly is, singing out to you, singing truths about you, reminding our weary hearts of who you are and exalting you to the throne of our hearts because that's where you belong. That's where you must reign. And that's when we begin to experience life as it was intended, full of peace, hope, and joy. So Jesus We put you on the throne of our hearts. We sing out to you as you are worthy. Thank you, Lord.